what can the Florida Gators do to kind of push themselves past the University of Miami on the recruiting trail? Find out here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free, wherever you listen to the podcast. Happy Wednesday. I'm Brandon Olson. Find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports and find us on YouTube and GiantsCountryOfSI.com. And join the Locked On Gators Discord, which is in the description. And I'm, I'm just going to bring you right to John, and we're just going to get into this because, again, another banger of an episode. Joining me now, again, I'm not going to pretend that we did anything. We're just doing these back-to-back. So joining me now again is John Garcia, Sports Illustrated's Director of Football Recruiting and Locked On's Recruiting Insider. Before getting into today's content, I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions apply. And we we've, we did this already for a half an hour, so we're going to get right back into it, John. Um, lately, we've been talking about these recruiting classes a lot, and we, we talked about individuals on yesterday's episode. Now looking at more of a school standpoint of it, what can Florida do to get ahead of Miami? Because Miami right now has a top 10 class pretty much, or a top 10 class or borderline top 10, depending on where you're looking. What can Florida do to just get ahead of Miami? Well, there's a whole lot of head-to-head battles uh, come to a heed right now. So I think kind of step one is winning more than Miami. I, I think at the beginning of the month, it was sort of Miami's time, right? You know, Francis might go on the 4th of July, Riley Williams, all those guys from a national standpoint. Um, and they did some work in state as well. But, you know, that momentum has shifted a little bit towards Florida towards the end of the month of July. So I do think kind of the stick-to-itiveness of, of Florida has shown up here um, since really the turning point of perception with this class, with the, that whole Jaden Rashada recruitment, it's felt like, which was of course head to head with Miami. It, it felt like that was the point where Miami took off and also Florida, you don't want to say woke up, but you know, Florida has been, recruiting at a higher level since that point, since that low point, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's bounced back in a big way. So I think continuing that momentum is very possible, especially relative to what we talked about yesterday, the the in-state pull, the in-state success that Florida has had. You're hitting Jacksonville, you're crushing Orlando, you're doing well in Tampa, and then you're sprinkling in South Florida and, and even the panhandle, if, if Sori jumps in, that's, that is where that is where you have to continue to live. And I think um, from, from a timeline standpoint, you got to get to the season and compete. You know, I think, I think we, we, we think Miami's got an easier road than Florida on the field. uh, But Florida's got more at stake with, with some of these games this fall and pretty much every year because they're in the sec. So I think getting kids on campus thereafter 
is to Florida's advantage. We've seen Miami win the offseason under Manny Diaz, under Mark Richt, and probably under Al Golden at this point. We've seen them win the offseason, and I don't think it's going to be win the offseason and tail off under Crystal Ball. I do think there's more sustainability there, but typically when it gets into the season, it starts to benefit Florida and Alabama and Georgia and AM and, and some of these SEC schools that have a different atmosphere, a different selling point for games than, than a school like Miami does. Now, will Cristobal and this staff try to build that up, kind of knowing what I'm talking about here? Yeah, probably. It'll probably feel a little bit different for Miami this year, but this is the time of year where we, we typically see a transition towards the schools that have – I don't want to say more to offer, but a more complete package than, than what Miami is able to present. Um, so I, I do think the season arriving or getting close is good for Florida. I, I think that's a really important part of, of that selling point. Uh, and also the, the list of targets is getting more narrow. Um, there's not as many head-to-head battles between the two programs. So you could kind of just – Florida can recruit Florida and not worry about Miami as much. I think they could just focus on their targets as opposed to trying to beat Miami head to head. Now that's going to continue and it's a good position to be in relative to like a Florida state, which is not even in the conversation for a lot of these in-state recruits, which is concerning for the Tallahassee folks. Certainly like it's this Miami and Florida back and forth in July in particular, Brandon, first thing it made me think of was Florida state. I'm like, Whoa, we're not even talking about, we're not even talking about. So it's a good position to be in relative to them. Um, but but I do think it, it feels like Florida and Miami are, are kind of on equal footing in, in this thing. You know, Miami had the big early haymaker with Rashada and capitalized and certainly went on a run after that. But now Florida has answered that call. And I think that has said a lot about Billy Napier, the organizational approach of this staff. Because not only are you keeping Floridians home, you're, you're – you're flipping recruits at quarterback like Marcus Stokes and Isaiah Nixon at defensive end. You are winning a coveted recruitment for a kid who is committed to the national champs and Trey on web, uh, another Jacksonville kid. You, you are competing at, at a very high level for some big time targets. Um, and, and you're going to win more than you lose with, with those guys in state. So I do think that it's going to resonate over the longstanding period of time for this class of 23. But I do think again, generally, the season is a good thing for Florida. Getting to this point is a good thing. Get kids over to the swamp, unofficial visits, all that fun stuff. Those are good things for Florida, which uh, I think goes back to Billy and and kind of that that wide-ranging approach with the huge recruiting department, huge budget, all that stuff. You're starting to see that come to fruition because now over time, it's breaking Florida's way a, a little bit more than it was earlier uh, in, in this year of, of 2022. And I think that trend could continue going forward. doesn't mean that Florida is going to have a better class and win more head-to-head, but it's going to be right there. It's going to be kind of even perceptionally, and I think that's a good place for Florida to be at this point while everything is still being established in Gainesville. Yeah, and, I mean, we've talked about Florida last episode. We talked about how UCF is not trying to just be a hat on the table, and it seems like this offseason Florida has kind of – not been comfortable, but it, it's kind of grown to the point where we're like, well, we never used to be in the conversation for some of these top guys that we're in the argument for. But being in the conversation isn't good enough for UCF. It ain't good enough for Florida. I can tell you that. What is it that Florida can do to kind of 
be able to actually finish these recruits? Well, I think the on-field portion is 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 going to be important here because you're going to sell something that is available to finally see. You know, you know, Gus Malzahn's already gone through that at UCF. Mike Norvell's already gone through that at Florida State with Napier and Cristobal. This is now we've told you about all this stuff. Now we can show you some of this stuff, and I think that's where some of these individual assistant coaches, like a Corey Raymond, can really shine because they have a track record of of having the ability to close. Uh, so I, I think that is where we'll see a lot more positivity for, for this Florida class. But I, I do think that part of the game has changed though, Brandon, I don't think closing is reserved for November, December, January anymore in recruiting. It is more geared towards May, June, July, which is what we've seen. We've seen dozens of programs jump up to 15, 20 commitments in the last month. Um, you know, I think seven or eight programs have like more than 20 verbal commitments on board right now. I mean, these classes are almost done. So the closing window that old folks like me associate with the winter months, like, oh, it's closing season, right? We're getting close to signing day. It's not the same as, as it was back then. Now closing season is earlier. It is the summer months. So I think the rebounding nature of of Florida after the Miami run was really telling. It could have, it could have gone the other way. It could have gone in the tank. Nobody would have been surprised at that point, and that could have been it. And this would have been a you know a top twenty five class, decent, not great. We'll see if they could develop. But now it's looking like it's going to be a top ten class with the ability to maybe push higher than that, and and maybe come signing day finish higher than Miami. So I, I do think that there's been a total shift in perception. And I think that response says a lot about Napier and that approach relative to some of the other coaching staff, certainly in the state and elsewhere, where it wouldn't have been the same to say the least. Do you think the Florida Gators will win seven or more games this year? Do you think they'll win six or less games this year? I think they'll win seven or more. So I went to bet online and I bet the over because the Gators win total is currently set at 6.5. Easy money. If we're being honest, it's easy money. Simple as that. I've been using bet online for years. Couldn't be happier with it. It's got football, baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, tennis, which is dead to me because of last week. It was a, it was a rough one. I'm just going to let you know that. Table tennis, darts, economics, politics, alien invasions. It's got... Um, fair warning, it's going to get high-pitched. Anything you want, check out betonline.net. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn all of the trends and action. Check out BetOnline. It's where the game starts. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's one thing that it seems like Florida has just been the victim of this, uh, this offseason where... I mean, people talk about Florida not being able to keep up NIL-wise. Uh, Jonah Aguero last week removed everything from his Instagram except for his Florida visit pictures, and people were like, oh, my goodness, he's going to be a gator. Uh, Roger Kearney committed to Florida State basically in Florida's parking lot, like right after his visit. How much of a role is reverse recruiting playing for Florida right now? Look, it – it would be naive to say it doesn't come up. I mean, you know, it comes up. I mean, it's just, 
the better caliber player you want to recruit, the more crap you're going to have to deal with in, in terms of getting him on board. Um, NIL is a part of that, certainly. Um, you know, that that whole craziness with the Rashada on three report that has been oddly quiet lately. You know, that whole thing hurts. It hurts perception, and, and perception is important in recruiting. So, yeah, if there was a group of recruits shortly thereafter, and, and the window lines up to when it was kind of rock bottom for UF, if there's a group of recruits that saw that and paid attention and understood that perception, then, yeah, they probably viewed Florida one tier lower than they actually were. But it's not sustainable over a longer period of time. I do think that uh, some of these NIL situations, both publicly and behind the scenes, have been resolved from the Florida angle. And it's again, it goes back to, to Billy and this organizational approach. Not that NIL is linked to him directly, but there's there's been this response ability, um, not responsibility, but this ability to respond <laughs> at Florida uh, on and off the field and in recruiting that has been something to shine a light on. And I think that that is good to go through in June as opposed to November or December. <laughs> this time last year, nobody thought Dan Mullen was getting fired, you know? So you'd rather go through that kind of storm in the summer than deal with it during the season because when it falls off the cliff during the season, it's a very swift fall, just like we saw last year at UF and a bunch of schools, right? I mean, we did not expect all this coaching transition. So You'd rather deal with it in the summer, correct it, and move forward. And I think that's where we're at right now in, in looking at Florida. They have reversed that perception with NIL, with them not being able to win head-to-head battles with you know um, with Mario and with Georgia and with Alabama, et cetera. They've started to contend and win some of those. So I, I do think that can reverse the perception just as fast as the perception, the negative perception was created with some of the NIL stuff and and the, I guess, feeling of, hey, this this staff is overwhelmed, which is, it's always short-sighted. But that feeling, you know, being erased as quickly as it has, again, says a lot about all elements of of this Gator approach. And that's why I think there's confidence in, in Gainesville that everything's going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just mentioned, like, people think, like, oh, the, the staff might be a little uh, overwhelmed. It's like, well, there's a billion of these people on staff in Gainesville. I'm, I'm pretty sure they can kind of kind of handle it uh, fairly. And, you know, we've talked about the biggest criticisms for this coaching staff, which are, are not criticisms necessarily, but difficulties with recruiting or you have no product in Gainesville on the field to show for wins or anything like that. NIL has been an issue, but it's been getting short up. What is it that Florida is doing to kind of keep these especially in-state kids at home well they're not promoting those beach pictures anymore i think that was a good first step because i was <laughs> as a miamian and as a floridian lifelong i'm like there ain't no beaches close but besides the the fun there uh, again they just they feel more buttoned up and i think that goes both ways we always think of it as to go get the big fish you got to play ball right you know we hear variations of that phrase all the time, every day, probably. But there's also the other side of it where relative to the priority level of the recruit, you're not going to play ball. You're not going to stay engaged. And a couple of kids we've talked about in the last couple of days fit this category. You don't stay engaged for recruits that aren't worth it. 
whether it's something they did, whether it's something you realized or a combination of both, you don't continue to recruit a, a kid, even in state, who doesn't fit in one way, shape, or form. So I think that the ability to, to self-realize, right, um, this self-awareness that Florida has had with recruiting, again, after the early summer perceptional burn, low point, whatever you want to call it, they have moved on from some of these, these big-name recruits, and it was the right call relative to what was happening behind the scenes. So, again, I, I think – I just think this whole staff has caught up. They've caught up to perception. They've caught up to the BS and the crap and the crud and the gray areas that recruiting is is founded upon. And they're starting to take the right risks with certain recruits and pull off this other group of recruits that aren't worth that risk. And, and they're realizing it a little bit sooner than some of their competitors. So I think, again, over the longstanding period of judgment that we're going to have over this UF program under Napier, that stuff will come up positive more times than not. So they've just kind of in all areas, they've just kind of cleaned it up and and learned from mistakes that were made. I don't want to make it seem like they were just victim. There were mistakes made. I think they've corrected and cleaned up most of them. And the organizational approach going forward will, will be one that yields a lot more uh, commitments and a lot more, hey, we are in this game for real from, from the Florida perspective as opposed to being a hat on the table. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've spoken a lot in this episode about a, a team perspective for things, but this past weekend, Florida lost out on a, on a couple commits, and one of them just pushed his date back. What does Malik Bryant pushing back his commitment date, although continuing to have his commitment party, mean for the Florida Gators? <laughs> well, you're not going to just end the party, and I guess I get that. <laughs> But um, this is fascinating. This is the most fascinating battle in the state. I guess not named Cormani McLean because I think he's going to have that until signing day, even if he commits early, whatever. Malik's, the, the fluctuation here is is very tangible and it is very, uh, it, you can grasp it, right? I mean, at one point it was like Gator Lock and then Miami got momentum. And then he visited Alabama for the first time and they were kind of the leader. And then like Maryland and USC showed up and it became <laughs> this like this truly national deal. But then it came back down to, to the in-state pair and it kind of felt like Jaden Rashada's recruitment where it was back and forth between Florida and Miami, like in person, you know, on the surface level, certainly under the surface level, well, well back and forth behind the scenes uh, to where you really couldn't call it. You really couldn't call it at a certain point. So when the decision to push back went through, we kind of understood, okay, this he probably needs more time here. But that can open the door for a lot of things. Uh, there's a group of people that think if he committed that day, it for sure would have been Florida. There's another group of people that think that if he pushed it back even 10 minutes, it was going to be Miami. And then there's a whole other school of thought saying like, okay, who else is is Bama back in? Like who who else is countering and cleaning up some of the mistakes we talked about with you know from from earlier this summer? So I, I do think you can't count out Saban for sure. But if if it's only pushed a few days, it's still Miami and Florida, and it's probably still a coin flip to me. But if it starts to become weeks 
and it gets to the season and all that stuff, that's that's when it starts to widen out again and Alabama will, will be involved and others could probably try to make a late play on, on their own here. So uh, sooner the better if you want to keep them in state. I just don't know if it's better for Florida or Miami. I, I tweeted the, the day of. I said I think it helps Florida a little bit, but it, it wasn't it's not a no-brainer and it's not overwhelming in one direction or the other. But my gut, my gut says that pushing it back a little helps Florida. Pushing it back a lot helps Miami or whoever else wants to jump in. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be completely honest with you. The, the day of, I was just like, he's going to be a cane. I don't know what it was. I was like, I was like <laughs> he's going to be a cane. They're going to throw the bag at him, and he's just going to be there. So when he pushed back, I was very hopeful that uh, that helps his case for being a Gator. But the other two players that committed that were Florida were finalists for were Joan Aguero committed to Georgia, which really sucked. Uh, and then Peyton Kirkland committed to Texas, which is still just – it's been – four days, three days. We've, we've talked about it twice today already, three times now, and it's still just, just mind boggling. But what does Florida do next to get into the win column? Yeah. I mean, I think Aguero is pretty understandable, right? I mean, this is a kid that I spoke to a Georgia source about last fall, you know, that they were really high on him and, and, and it remained as such, even, with their DB coach uh, going to Miami, which gave the Canes some momentum. And Florida had some momentum with him. But really, Georgia and Ohio State were kind of the longstanding schools for him, even when he was originally up in Massachusetts before he went to IMG. So that one kind of makes sense. Kirkland does not make sense. Uh, (laughs) Top five, a billion visits to Florida, a billion more to Miami. Uh, The dark horses were Oklahoma and Michigan State, where he took official visits. And then he commits to Texas where he had never been. And he had been trash talking on Twitter previously uh, just a day or two before before said commitment. Uh, that, that's a little bit different. That's a little – we'll chalk that one up to f- just the state of Florida being amazing, right? Just being this unique wonderland of improbability and suspense and drama and a lot of talent in between all of that. Uh, we'll chalk it up to that. But, hey, you know, Texas has a lot of momentum, great class, Arch Manning, all that certainly is is sustainable but look i mean you you i think what i talked about earlier and you guys can figure out which one about florida moving on from certain situations i think that has has come to to play here and i and i think that um not every miss is is the same not every miss is the same and i think that is something that you should be okay with as a gator fan you know you should want to move on when necessary i, I know with certain positions, it's hard because you're like, we need offensive linemen, we need corners, we need we needed a quarterback, but you you have to kind of trust it. There's just there's always more at play going on in recruiting, and now it's like more than ever. It's like the all time high, whatever the number of percentage of that you know that we knew, um, that number is lower now because we we have no idea in some cases what is truly happening, and and I think. That is the the current nature of of the sport. So you got to just kind of embrace it and go with it, and trust that in some of these situations, it's the school that has moved on, not so much the kid. And you got to just kind of live with that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'll say I'm happy about it. <laughs> after after things, I'm I'm happy about it. <laughs> Thank you, John. This is John Garcia, Sports Illustrated's director of football recruiting. Lockdown's recruiting insider, and you can find him on Twitter at John Garcia underscore JR. 
and across the entire Locked On College Network. Thanks for having me, B. Thanks again for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow where we're probably going to talk more recruiting, which yay, everybody, right? Like We all love that. Make your second listen, Locked On SEC, hosted by Chris Gordy of Sports 790. Fantastic interviews, fantastic content, consistent schedule, and an amazing host. For Locked On Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Find my written work with Whole Nine Sports and find us on YouTube. Got content coming out for that later this week. And find my written work with GiantsCountryofSI.com. And I will see you all tomorrow.